there a better way to test fuel-saving devices? I'm Jim Park. This is HDT Talks Trucking, Season 8, Episode Number 1. Over the past nine years, our guest on this episode reckons he's saved his fleet over $28 million worth of fuel. He hasn't invented a new fuel-saving device. Rather, he's invented a new way of testing fuel-saving devices. Daryl Baer is the lead engineer and chief operating officer of Mesilla Valley Transportation Solutions. If that name rings a bell, it's because the fleet that pocketed all those saved fuel dollars is fuel economy leader Mesilla Valley Transportation. Daryl's a mechanical engineer with 20 years experience in motorsports, automotive testing, and research and development. He's worked with IndyCar and NASCAR and with car makers Ford and Honda. From his background in race car engineering and testing came a vastly more efficient and accurate method of quantifying fuel savings for heavy trucks. Daryl introduced this test method to Royal Jones in 2012, the two partnered up in 2016, and the rest, as they say, is history. Daryl says even well-intentioned fleets are leaving tons of money on the table because their test methods aren't producing reliable results. Coming up, Daryl and I discuss the financial and environmental impacts of imprecise fuel economy evaluations and what fleets can do about it. We'll be right back. Since you're already a fan of podcasts, I invite you to check out some of Bobbitt Business Media's other fleet-related online content. Our other three fleet publications cover work trucks, automotive fleets, and transit and motor coach fleets. Those sectors are confronting many of the same disruptive influences we are here in the heavy-duty side. I'm sure you'll find we have a lot in common. You can find them easily on the Bobbitt Business Media website at bobbittbusinessmedia.com. Hi there, Daryl, and uh, welcome to HDT Talks Trucking. It's great to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. So, uh, fuel economy. It's uh, it, it's one of the big deals for fleets. Climate change, of course, fuel efficiency and all that sort of stuff, it all goes hand in hand. And, uh, of course, testing for fuel efficiency and aerodynamic performance on various products you're planning on investing in. MVTS does just exactly that on a professional level. Uh, people can pay you to test products. You can evaluate their own fleets and they can evaluate new products. From the fleet's point of view, what is the real advantage to investing in some good, honest, reliable, professional fuel economy testing? There's a lot of advantages, really, a lot of advantages. It really depends on the fleet, whether it's a profit thing, whether it's a sustainability um, uh, program that they have going. It, It really depends on what they're trying to do. You know, every trucking company has, you know, a consciousness about, of course, profit and the environment and and I think every trucking company has realized how big their impact is on the environment and how, how big it can be when they start making improvements. So it really depends on the company. But the, the bottom line really is with fuel economy that everyone wins. You know, the fleet wins, the environment wins. So there's not really a downside to working on fuel economy. That's really what we've seen with any fleets. Well, I guess working on fuel economy, everybody's, most fleets anyway, are concerned about, uh, you know, getting the best bang for their buck for their fuel dollar. But when they try and set out to do fuel economy testing or testing of some device that they're adding to the truck or maybe a change in tires, for example, it gets pretty difficult to, uh, to drill down into the, you know, the actual results of your testing efforts. 
You know, I was thinking if you were to take, you know, a long nose classic truck and compare it to an aero truck, for example, the results would be pretty obvious. But if you were trying to evaluate two different tires, for example, uh, the difference would be dramatically smaller, a tighter, uh, you know, spread between the two results, maybe sometimes even lost in the noise of your data. Can you get accurate results doing the kind of testing you might be inclined to do yourself on highway? Uh, a really small change in results like you would get comparing two tires? Not really, Jim. It, it's um, like you said, there's so much noise when a vehicle, when a truck is going down the road and even on a track, you know, the, the real secret to being able to get reliable numbers is to be able to control or at least quantify those variables so that you can take the noise out of it. You know, if you're trying to measure something that's, you know, maybe a 1% or call it a one gallon per thousand mile change, but the fuel economy in the truck is changing by 20 to 30%, you know, it, within a few minutes, it's, uh, you know, it's like finding a needle in a haystack trying to measure that 1%. And I guess in a, in a in-service fleet fuel economy test, you've got millions of other variables to contend with. You know, like different driving styles. If you put two different drivers on a truck, you've got different load weights, you've got different weather, and all this happens over a period of time. And then somewhere near the end of your test, you get a flat tire and you have to replace it. And all that data goes out the window. Uh, it's It can be a pretty frustrating process at the end of the day, couldn't it? Oh, it is. And it's a massive undertaking. And then at the end, you don't know if the information is reliable. You know, we, we did a, a tire test a few years ago with with a fleet in California and they had spent a year, they had 34 trucks and, and put 17 with tire a and 17 with tire B and ran them for a year. You know, if they lost a tire, they changed it to the same one. You know, they tracked the fuel economy religiously. And when we started talking about doing another test, their fleet manager said, honestly, this is the most, this is the biggest pain in the neck we've ever done. Like we don't want to do it again. He said, I would do anything to avoid having to redo this tire test. It, which, yeah, I mean, any fleet that's done it, they know how difficult it is. So they had us go and do this test for them. And um, we tested the two tires in two days, went there, set up our equipment on two trucks, tested on the interstate in California. And, and that was it. We were done in two days. And then uh, because they had spent the last year doing all this testing, they had their own numbers to compare to, which, of course, they didn't tell us what the numbers were. But when we presented our results, they were blown away that we were able to do that in two days. And then we could we, act, we were actually able to show that, you know, the fuel economy difference between a, a long haul um, duty cycle and a regional and then the urban duty cycle that they had delivering to grocery stores in the city. And the numbers were all a little bit different because the fuel economy of the trucks were different in those three scenarios. And so they had seen that too, but they didn't know why it was that way. So they had a hard time deciding what the actual fuel economy gain was of those tires. So we went in there and measured it where we were able to show them why. And they've been uh, big fans ever since. So you don't, you don't actually know then, or did they ever tell you whether your results were, or their results were close to yours or were they They said they were the really mark? close. Yeah. Like very, very close. And that's, that's really how they knew that our, our testing was reliable was that they were able to compare it to what they did. So that validates the work you're doing then in, in a much shorter period of time and a much, much, much lower stress level for the fleet managers. Oh, yeah. It's it's an incredible difference. Well, there's a number of ways fleets can conduct fuel economy testing. 
whether it's for, you know, aerodynamic results or tire, you know, rolling resistance improvements. You know, these range from the uh, SAE 1321 uh, TMC Type 2. There, there are a handful of tests uh, that fleets can do. Are any of those sort of standard tests either easier to do or more accurate at the end of the day if, if, if fleets are going to go down that road and do their own testing? If there were more accurate or easier ways to do it, that's what we would be doing. You know, what we found is that, and, you know, we find the same thing that a lot of fleets have experienced is that the testing methods that the trucking industry has relied on up to now have really been quite unreliable um, for a slew of different reasons. Um, so it really depends on the fleet, but what we found to be by far the most reliable is the kind of testing that we do where we, we operate like it's a, like it's a racing car where we have a full size vehicle full of test equipment, sensors, a lot of analytical methods, and we're able to just quantify even the smallest change. So what makes the other tests unreliable? (laughs) Well, it's funny you ask, um, you know, I was listening to a, a podcast that you did with, uh, with Bob Wessels. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, just recently. And, and I, I was really quite intrigued by the conversation because what I realized after listening to that podcast was that they basically spent an hour explaining all the problems with SAE type two tests. You know, they talked about the issue of, you know, the numbers not coming out right and realizing that they had written them down backwards. So, you know, there's the human error factor. Mm-hmm. They talked about an instance where the numbers were off and it was because the sun was on on the side with the fuel tank or, or something of that nature. You know, so having test results affected by sunlight on a tank, you know, that's an issue. You know, they talked about pine trees, you know, affecting results with aerodynamics. And there were a whole slew of things that that really uncovered, you know, you, you have these guys that have so much experience doing this kind of testing and they tell you about these issues that they've had. And it really kind of highlights the, some of the shortcomings of, of that, you know, traditional kind of testing. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's this belief in trucking and, and one of those gentlemen would set it in the webinar, you know, or sorry, in the podcast that, um, that the whole point of having that testing was that anyone could do it. You didn't, you know, you know, you don't need sophisticated equipment or expensive flow meters, but at the end of the day, you know, you get this test result that is, it, it's somewhat vague, you know, you can't go back and say, you know, are these test results reliable? You know, what was the wind doing? What was the temperature in the engine? What was, there's a lot of information that you're not taking out of it. So, so uh, some people say you don't need that kind of equipment. I'd say it's silly not to have it. You know, you're, you're talking to fleets that have fuel bills that are in the millions, sometimes hundreds of millions. And, uh, you know, why wouldn't you use more reliable test equipment and analytical methods to make decisions on that as opposed to just a pencil and a piece of paper? Well, that's a good point. And if you talk, you know, one of those mega fleets, they probably do have all that equipment themselves, or maybe even somebody knows how to use it. But if you're a 25 truck fleet or a hundred truck fleet, mom and pop operation, you don't have access to all that equipment. You try as best you can, maybe to stick to the principles of an SAE type two test, which is hard enough. Um, but like you say, if the results aren't accurate at the end of the day, all that effort that you put into it kind of goes out the window with a, an unreliable result. How many times have you heard, for example, of a fleet who went out and bought, uh, 
set of tires or a brand of tires or a, a trailer skirt, for example, maybe that they got results that they believed in, which turned out to be uh, not the best tire or, or skirt for their operation. Have you ever heard of that happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah, every day. It's a, okay. it's a broken record. It's a broken record with fleets, really, and, and which is why so many of them have become apprehensive about even trying technologies. You know, they'll put them in the fleet, and they'll put all this work into it, and at the end of six months or a year, however long it is, they look at the numbers and say, well, do we really believe this? You know, we we did a – I wasn't really involved in this the in-service test that MVT did, like the fleet did. But, um, you know, a few years ago, they were – they were working with an oil company, engine oil company, and tested this oil. And they had 30 trucks, and the test result came back that it was a 0.6 mile per gallon improvement. Well, you know, I mean, we all knew that that wasn't true. 0.6 for a different yeah. type of engine oil? No, that seems a little yeah. high. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so they look at these results and say, well, what are we going to do now? You know, I mean, Royal, the CEO at MVT, he'd, he'd said, hey, if we do this test, you know, and, and the numbers are reliable, then then we'll look at going forward. So, He'd kind of put himself in the corner, and these results were not reliable, not reliable at all. So we ended up honestly just going to the test track, and we had we compared new oil and half-life oil and, and end-of-life oil, and got the numbers, you know. And that took a couple hours, and of course they were much more reliable, you know, hmm. as opposed to spending a year or whatever it was tracking yeah. thirty trucks. And that's a year's worth of non-savings you could have had if you'd done the test quicker and got that product implemented into the fleet sooner. Yeah, absolutely. Regrettable. And that is honestly the biggest cost point right there. It's, you know, even if, if a fleet can get the numbers in service with the kind of accuracy that we could get at the test track, it still takes them six months or a year. So we can look at a product, we can test five products in a day, make the decision for the fleet and they're a year ahead right there they make the decision and they have a year of savings. You know, there, several years ago, um, you know, we were looking at some fuel economy tests and, and um, you know, I, you don't want to talk probably about brands of, of products here. So I'll keep it. Um, yeah. Just keep it generic. Name, for nameless. Yeah. yeah. So the, uh, so this mud flap company had contacted MVT and said, Hey, you know, why don't you use our mud flaps? And, and Royal said, Oh, we're not putting those fly swatters on our trucks. And um, I said, well, why don't we just test them? I mean, we have the tools. Let's just go do it. So we went and tested, and it showed a positive result. And um, it was around, you know, 0.75 gallons per thousand miles, I think it was. So, you know, a little under a percent, call it that. And um, so we go back to the, you know, to Royal, and we show him these numbers, and we go through all the results. And he says, well, I guess we're in the fly swatter business. (laughs) You know, and the and the CFO, his name's Dean Rigg, and you know, so he's the numbers guy, and he starts crunching the numbers, and he said, "All right, let's get this implemented as soon as possible. If it takes us a year, that's three hundred grand we just lost, and that's the truth. You know, if if it takes a year to make make a decision, then you just lost that year of savings. But of course, it can go the opposite way too if you make the wrong decision, which is absolutely why, yeah, it can cost you more for yeah. a year, or until yeah. you figure out the problem, yeah." Yeah, which is why it's so important to get reliable numbers. Well, I've heard you use the phrase uh, gallons per thousand miles, uh, which is a little bit different way of expressing fuel economy. Normally, we hear it expressed as a percentage. Uh, 
I want to get into that with you and, and really dig down into why that's a different way or a better way, you say, of, of expressing improvement. Uh, but before we do, when you're buying an off-the-shelf product and the manufacturer makes some claim that it's going to save you 2 3 5%, pick a number, it doesn't really matter for this example, but uh, when you get the product home, bolt it on the truck and start testing it or trying to validate you know, what, the, what the manufacturers claimed, Almost universally, fleets seem to say, well, I'll just cut that estimated number in half. So if they say five, I'll bank on two and a half or you know, something to that effect. Why do we have to do that? Why can't we get accurate numbers uh, uh, from the manufacturers to base our purchasing decisions on? Well, we can. I mean, fuel savings is an exact science. There's no psychology in it. There, there are no feelings. It is 100% science, like gravity or the way the planets move. The problem up to this point is that people, the industry, really haven't understood the science or quantified it. When I started working on fuel economy, I saw some things that just didn't make a lot of sense, and I kept digging into them and digging into them. But see, my experience before that was a lot different. You know, I was a race car engineer, so I was very adept to doing that kind of analysis. Before that, I was a test engineer and really had amazing training. So, uh, you know, I, I really was in a good position to understand these kind of things and, and have the tools to, to dig in deeper. So I started noticing all these strange patterns and really the science just kind of unraveled. And one day I just realized, holy cow, I mean, the, the whole industry is measuring as a percent and it just doesn't line up. It just doesn't, it doesn't work with the science. And so when you take a different path and you start from the first principles of science and, and come up that way, looking at forces and energy, all of a sudden you can predict exactly what a product is going to save in a fleet. Because like I said, it's, just, it's, it's an exact science. You just have to know the science and be able to quantify it. In your estimate, your, your own opinion here, uh, when we see numbers like brand X saves 5%, uh, should we be cutting that in half or can we take that number at face value? What, what, what would make the difference in the, how you answer that question? Well, I mean, honestly, any numbers that we've seen published, we really don't believe until we test them ourselves because the, the test results that are put out there publicly right now come from all of these test, test programs that are very unreliable and for a lot of different reasons. And I don't want to say that we have the only good or reliable test program out there, but there's a lot of issues that people aren't aware of. So you can get a test result and maybe it's 5%, but you really have to know where it comes from. And if you're only doing a, a type two test where you weigh the fuel tanks, you know, before and after, and that's the only information you have, you know, it, it weighed this much and you hope that the person wrote the numbers down, right. And you hope that they didn't put them upside down, you know, reverse them. Mm -hmm. You hope that, that someone didn't have the truck on the wrong fan setting. You hope that it was the right speed. You, you know, you have all of these things that you hope were correct, but you have no data to look at and verify that that's the case. So then, you know, you're a fleet that has a hundred million dollar fuel bill or maybe a $500 million fuel bill. And you have these vendors saying, you know, here's our test result. And, you know, they just get almost squeamish, you know, say, oh my goodness, I can't imagine investing all this money in, in some numbers that I really don't know where they came from. Yeah. Well, that's a legitimate concern. Yeah. Can you trust those numbers? 
And if they're coming from a vendor, I don't mean to slag the vendors here at all, but uh, they're probably going to put their product in the best light possible. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a sales situation, right? Sure. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. And that's why we approach this very differently. You know, when I first started working on fuel economy, it was from the, the fleet side. You know, I, I approached, well, it was Mesilla Valley Transportation to begin with. I said, you know, I started working with them and my whole purpose was to help them make purchase decisions. It wasn't working with vendors or, you know, I, I mean, I did end up working with vendors and, and we did collectively because you just, that's just how it goes. But but the purpose and, and the objective of the whole program was to help them make purchase decisions. So the whole program just kind of developed into that, you know, helping them look at the payback period, the percent return on investment, the making the, the results more accurate, calculating the probability of the, of the success. And then of course, comparing it back to back with other products. And, you know, so it really developed into this, this program that there's no one to hide behind. You know, you, it's not just a, a test program where you say, well, we follow the protocols and wash your hands of it and walk away. It's the kind of thing where if you're going to walk in and, and tell somebody that, you know, they should invest $5 million in this product, you know, you better be darn sure that you're right about it, you know? Otherwise, you end up buried in the desert somewhere, you know? <laughs> We're talking with Daryl Bear. He's a fuel economy uh, testing expert. He's a chief operating officer and lead engineer at Mesilla Valley Transportation Solutions. Daryl, when we come back after the break, let's dig into the uh, the question of gallons per thousand miles saved versus percentage of fuel economy. Sounds good. We'll be right back after this with more from Daryl Bear. HTT will premiere a new video feature in 2022 called Short Hauls. It's a combined video and audio podcast. We'll be connecting with industry leaders to present digestible 10-minute videos and full-length audio podcasts that dive deeper into the subject matter. And don't forget to check out some of Bobbitt's other video and podcast products, The State of the Fleet Industry by Mike Antich and Lauren Fletcher's Truck Chat. They're all on your favorite podcast platforms, and they're easy to find on the Bobbitt Business Media website. It's at bobbittbusinessmedia.com. We're back with Daryl Bear. He's the Chief Operating Officer and Lead Engineer at Mesilla Valley Transportation Solutions, otherwise known as Mesilla Valley Transportation Solutions. Uh, Daryl, MVT, Mesilla Valley Transportation, is known amongst the in, around the industry as one of the fuel economy leaders. Uh, Royal Jones established himself as a real um, pace setter when it came to uh, testing and fuel economy. How did uh, you come to be with that company, and, and how did that relationship first come together? Well, actually, um, I met the co-owner of MVT, Jimmy Ray, at a at the TMC show, um, my, the first time I'd attended. And, um, you know, he, he and I got to talking about different fuel economy things. And he actually, you know, then they were, you know, still a leader at that point. They were, I think even then around 2011, they were over eight miles per gallon. So, so at that point, people didn't believe the fuel economy they were getting. They thought they were, you know, liars. But um, Jimmy Ray and I got talking about different fuel economy stuff and, and just kind of going from there. And he's a racing guy. So we kind of connected and, and uh, yeah, just went from there. He talked a lot about the challenges of trying to measure fuel savings and how much time they spent testing and testing over and over and over again to make sure that the numbers were reliable before they spent all this money on a product. And, 
And so I kind of took that to heart. And when I went home after the trade show, I started working on things and keeping in touch with Jimmy. And then when I was ready to to try out this test program that I'd worked on, um, MVT was the first fleet that I went to. So I went and worked with Jimmy. And then, of course, Royal and everyone else. Well, you're from a racing background. Uh, are there a lot of parallels between trucking and racing when it comes to uh, pursuits for better fuel economy or higher, better performance? Well, yeah, there, there's a lot, a lot of similarities. I mean, I, I always say like, it, you know, with, you, with a race car, you're trying to make a race car go faster, but with a truck, you're trying to make a truck go further. So it's the same science. It's just a different objective, you know? Now, you're one of the few people that I've spoken to ever that expresses savings in gallons per thousand miles. I mean, that's a pretty easy number to get your head around uh, versus the percentage. You say 5%, 6%, 2%. What's the difference between expressing the results in as, as a percentage versus a hard number like gallons per thousand miles? When you measure as a percent, it becomes very unreliable. The whole problem with measuring as a percent is you're measuring fuel savings and dividing it by the total fuel used. So anytime your fuel use changes, your percent changes. So you can have a product on the exact same vehicle, but have different fuel economies between them. And your percent number is going to be the same, even though they save the same amount of fuel. And it, it's kind of difficult to explain, but the math is so simple that as soon as you write it down, it, it becomes very obvious so I'm not sure if that answers the question or not. Well, if, if your truck is doing, let's say, eight miles per gallon, that's heroic, and uh, you come along and bolt on something that promises 5% savings over that. So your, your percentage is based on eight miles per gallon. But if you have a truck that's getting six miles per gallon and the product still advertises a 5% improvement, there's going to be a difference between 5% of eight miles per gallon and 5% of six miles per gallon. Absolutely. At eight miles per gallon, a truck burns 125 gallons in a thousand miles. So let's say you save five, let's call it five gallons instead of 5%. Okay. So you go from 125 down to 120. If you get that six mile per gallon truck, that's using 167 gallons, I believe in a thousand miles. So if you take that same five gallons, you go from, you know, five gallons divided by 167. Now you're looking at, I think it's 3.3%. It's the same number of gallons. It's five gallons on both trucks, but now it's a different percent. So if you're a trucking fleet and you're trying to use percent to make a financial decision, I mean, the number's all over the place, even though in the end, what you're trying to put a number to are the gallons saved because of course you're buying fuel by the gallon. That seems ridiculously simple to me, and I'm not very good at math. Why, why don't more people use the gallons per thousand miles metric when they're expressing fuel efficiency? No one else has seemed to realize or has really uncovered the science behind all this. When I started doing testing, you know, the, the first thing I worked on was getting it more, getting the test results more accurate. And when it was more accurate, I began to see more patterns, you know, it's kind of like scoping in a rifle, you know, it, if you're trying to scope in a rifle, but you're not hitting the target consistently, you don't know which way to move the sights. But if you hit, you know, three times or 10 times in a row in the same spot on the target, you know, okay, I got to move the sights this way and, and that way. You know, so with the accuracy that we were able to obtain, we could just see a lot more patterns. And then the science 
really became apparent. And it was literally a day, I, uh, one morning after doing fuel economy testing, I'd been out all night and started looking at these numbers and it, it just occurred to me, holy cow, like you just can't measure by percent. And then I started working from the first principles of thermodynamics, it's called, which is energy in is equal to energy out, or you know, energy cannot be created or destroyed. And I started working from that and created a math formula and everything just kind of came to be from there. And, and yeah, you just, you can't use a percent. It just doesn't work. Cause you could, like you said, you have that eight mile per gallon truck and a six mile per gallon truck. Well, you know, every, every truck goes through that, whether it's between two different drivers or a different idle percent or heavy versus light or uphill versus downhill. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the percent's constantly going to change. And the problem the problem in the industry is that every test method reports their numbers that way. And so as a trucking fleet, they don't have a snowball's chance to try and figure out what it's going to do in their fleet, which of course leads to why so few trucking fleets rely on sort of the quote industry standard test methods. Well, those industry standard test methods are normally expressed. The results are normally expressed as percentages. If you're running it, okay, and this is going back to Bob Wessels and Chuck Blake and that other podcast, but uh, if you're running a truck either over a, uh, like an over-the-road course or around a track, you can still calculate pretty easily, I would guess, the number of gallons consumed over a thousand mile distance by weighing your fuel tanks or some other method, you know, having a flow meter or something on it. Uh, and those results would be instant and obvious. Why do they, you know, burrow down into the percentage as opposed to just saying this truck got, uh, you know, 27 gallons over this distance and that truck burned 23 gallons over that distance? Why do you even because dig they, into percentages at that point? They've just never realized that it's a problem because the, those test methods, I mean, you get test methods like wind tunnel testing or CFD or coast down. And they're not like, there's nothing to compare them to. They're not done on a real vehicle. So there's no chance of ever knowing that the numbers don't line up. There's no, there's, there's no feedback, at least with an SAE type two test or the J1321 test, you know, you're using real vehicles and real fuel. So you can start to see patterns. The problem with that method is that it is, the accuracy is so bad that it's very difficult to obtain repeatable results to where you see these kind of patterns. And so without seeing those patterns, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't seem to occur to people that, Hey, maybe something's wrong here, but I'll tell you, it, it is so blatantly obvious that I, I don't know how people haven't looked at it. There's a, a spreadsheet that you can get for doing SA type two tests. And I'm not sure if it comes from Smartway or the EPA, well, it's probably TMC, but it's an Excel spreadsheet and you do, you put your numbers in there and then it, it says, okay, this, this is your test result. And it has percent fuel saved and percent fuel improvement. And they're two different numbers. I mean, you look at that right there and you go, I mean, when I looked at that, I said, well, that doesn't make sense. Why are there two different numbers? Something's got to be wrong here. And then there is something wrong. I mean, the, one of them divides by the, the baseline fuel of the tractor and the other one divides by the, the test run fuel. So you get different numbers. Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't get different numbers. It's the same amount of fuel saved. But yeah, exactly. That just muddies the waters. Yeah, it's like it's like anything. I mean, biologists would have learned a lot when they started using a microscope. You know, it's uh, you know we 
you know, at MVT Solutions, we have a microscope for fuel economy. Like you really can't hide stuff that we're testing because we can dig into it so deep. We can see anything we want, really, whether it's where every drop of fuel goes or, or what the alternator's doing or the emission system or, you know, what the drivers are doing. We can correlate all these things, what the wind is doing, the, the temperatures, the tires. So, you know, when we get these anomalies, we can, we can dig into them further and see what's going on. Whereas in like a type two test, all you have are the fuel numbers. You're just hoping that it's, it's consistent, let alone trying to dig into where the numbers actually came from. Well, is, is the kind of testing you do then just a product of the evolution of the technology that we use to analyze things like alternators and, you know, combustion temperatures and fan on time? I mean, you have a truck that's, you know, censored up and spends several hours, I guess, going around in circles on a test track. You can monitor, we can monitor now. We've got the technology to monitor umpteen different systems on the truck. Going back to the Bob Wessels days, they had a limited amount of technology and sort of pencil and paper math to figure out what they were doing. Are we just further ahead today because we've got better technology or is it largely because of how that technology is applied to the exercise? Uh, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. I mean, you know, what we do is really, uh, really comes from racing. Like I mentioned, you know, that this is how you engineer an Indy car. You know, it has a data system on it. Engineers will use that data to figure out what the car is doing, quantify that, make decisions. You know, we do fuel economy with trucks the very same way. So, yeah, I mean, some of that is the, is the technology advantages that we have now. But data acquisition and these kind of things have been around for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Not new. Not new, no. The, the trucking industry and TMC specifically has geared their testing to a lower technology level in their words, so that anyone can do it. There's no, there's no barrier in terms of cost. You know, you don't need to, to buy this expensive equipment, right? But the reality is it, the testing doesn't cost hardly anything compared to, or the equipment compared to the fuel bill, you know, it's uh, <laughs> true enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, there's not even a close comparison. But it's not just the equipment, it's the engineering and the analysis that goes with it. Yeah. You know, it's, you can put a, you know, a $10,000 flow meter on a truck and run it down the road and sure you get more accurate fuel numbers, but, but that's just, you know, one piece of the puzzle. You have to know all the things that are affecting the fuel economy. You have to know the wind and the terrain and the drivers and the road. And, you know, all of that has to go into, well, we use a, what we call an energy method analytical system. And it, it just quantifies all those variables so that you can put those questions to rest, you know? One of the, we dug into this in the magazine uh, several years ago, probably 10 years ago now, uh, talking about the efficacy of fuel economy testing. And I learned through talking to several, you know, aerodynamic experts, the, the challenges with the J1321 test were, you know, the variabilities. When you go, go to the track on a given afternoon, uh, like you say, you've got sun, you've got wind, you've got, you know, a number of environmental conditions, the temperature of the road, temperature of the tires, yada, yada, yada. So they have to run those tests multiple times to sort of weed out the best run, the worst run, and take an average. You do your testing in one or two runs, I gather. How can you be sure your data is accurate on just a couple of runs as opposed to averaging out several? Well, actually, I mean, when we're doing when we're doing one run, you know, we're doing multiple laps and we're collecting millions of data points. So instead of having to repeat the test, you know, 10 times, we can do all, we can do all that and more in one test. Yeah. 
so it's uh, I mean again it, you know it comes from racing I mean when when you're working on a on a race car and you make a change you have two or three laps at most to figure out what what the change made or did and then bring it back into the pits and make a change again so like I'm very trained and, and we have a lot of experience on collecting this kind of data and quantifying what it's doing to a vehicle so so honestly like doing a, a one or two hour test run in a truck is a long time compared to what I'm used to but <laughs> okay but um yeah and it really comes down I mean you know with the J1321 test you you repeat the runs more often or do more iterations just to kind of increase the validity of the test or the confidence in it. The confidence, That's really yeah. all it comes down to. Yep. Yeah. It's, so we can, you know, we can look at, we can do a test and then repeat it the next day when the conditions are different and there'll be a different fuel number, like just the raw fuel number savings, whatever will be different. But because we're calculating the wind speed and the, and the wind direction, tire temperatures, all of that while we're doing it, we can apply a factor mm -hmm. to the to the vehicle and say, okay, maybe maybe it got you know four point one yesterday and it's four point eight today, but when we apply the environmental factors and other conditions that might be involved, they'll both be let's say four point five, you know, or whatever the number might be. And and it's just that's just what you have to do. You have to apply the math. You know, in a race car, you go and you qualify in the morning, and it might be sixty five Fahrenheit. And then the race is at one o'clock in the afternoon when it's 110, you know, you have to adjust the aerodynamics, the downforce on the car, because now the wind or the air is thinner, you know, you have less downforce. So you, you physically change the car to match the downforce that you had in qualifying, you, you know, like it's, it's, it's very mathematical. It's the same thing that pilots do. You know, you, when you fly into Denver airport, you know, they have a longer runway because the air is thinner in Denver. Yeah. You know? Altitude it's density. all the same science. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we spent some time talking about the SAE J1321 tests and the TMC Type 2 and Type 3 and 4 tests. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other testing methodologies that are around today, like CFD, computational fuel, fluid dynamics, wind tunnel testing, coast down testing. Uh, does that sort of testing produce results the fleets can take to the bank? Well, you really have to ask the fleets. Um, you know, we work with a lot of very sizable fleets and none of them use that kind of information. You know, they haven't found that, that those results correlate to what they see in their fleet, which is, which I would agree with. I mean, they're very mathematical scientific reasons for that. Um, so yeah, I mean, of course they will, they will say that the test methods are very reliable, but, but they've never really proven them in, in terms of what they'll do in on a real truck or, or in the fleet itself. So they're more theoretical than practical. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're theoretical. I mean, they're very good tools. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're very good tools. And in racing, you know, we used a lot of wind tunnel stuff and CFD and, and even coast down. You know, they all have their limitations. You know, you know, we would go to a test track or to a wind tunnel with a race car, and the first thing you have to do is a baseline run. You have to see if the car, you know, what the number is with that car compared to the last time you were there because things just change in a wind tunnel. And with, with CFD, you know, you're looking at a, it's a computer model. So, I mean, it's like anything with a calculator, you can, you can change the numbers any way that you want. The purpose of using those tools is to, is to try and develop. And then you go and you, to the real world and you validate them. I mean, that's what you always need to do with a tool like that. It's not a, it's not a single shot kind of thing where you do CFD and 
say, okay, now we're ready to, to go fleet wide with this product, or at least you shouldn't, you know, the thing about CFD is that, yeah, it's, it's a simulation program. It's a very good tool, but you have to realize what the tool's limitations are. And, you know, that goes for any kind of engineering, whether it's fuel economy or design, designing automobiles, whatever it is. And in the trucking industry and fuel economy, they really haven't closed that loop where they've, you know, got the numbers and proven from CFD to the wind tunnel or to, uh, to the road, you know? Well, it, it seems to me, and I'm no engineer, uh, but those tools, CFD, wind tunnel, and coast down, would probably be better served as design tools where you tweak a design, change a design, establish a baseline, go back, do it again, and then analyze your results, but probably not the best tools for producing say real-world fuel economy results that you can take to the bank. Yeah, absolutely. Is I that mean, an accurate assessment? Produce. Yeah, absolutely. But unfortunately, you know, the, the powers that be with carbon, the EPA, you know, they've adopted those methods and that's what they use now for the GEM model. And I mean, it's, uh, you know, I don't think they know any better, but, but unfortunately, you know, everyone's just kind of following what the other person does. You know, they've spent years doing the, the type two testing and found issues with it. So they've got away from that. Now they're going to CFD and wind tunnel and they just haven't had the time to realize that, that those numbers aren't going to correlate to the fleet either. And coast down testing is a whole other mess, you know, um, but, but luckily it hasn't been adopted too much yet. Well, you just you know, kicked but, open a can of worms. Oh man. It, the thing about coast down testing, you know, when, when you do really, when you do really reliable fuel economy testing, you really get to see patterns, you know, we'll leave the pits and go out in a truck and you see what it does lap after lap, you know, and, and it has to heat up. It has to become, you know, has to get into steady state. Well, there is no steady state in a coast down test. You have bearing temperatures that change, lubricants, seals, tires, you know, there's no consistency, but people think you can just go coast these trucks up and down the road and you get a number and it's accurate. Well, I mean, prove that it's accurate. You know, I've worked with a lot of people in racing and I can tell you, there's not a lot of teams anymore that do coast down testing because it's just not reliable enough. But can I, one thing I will say though, is like we have in the trucking industry, all these different ways to try and measure fuel savings, but no one wants to actually measure fuel savings. They try and do it all these other different ways in a wind tunnel or on a computer or, or coasting a truck in neutral. It's like, and I look at this and I go, what are you people thinking? Measure the darn fuel. You know, if you can't measure the fuel accurately, figure out why. You know, like, why dance around? <laughs> why not try to figure out the problem? Which is what we did, you know? We said, okay, like, how can we get more reliable fuel numbers? Not not coasting numbers, not, you know, and try and work it through some kind of mathematical equation that doesn't does or does not line up. Well, there's there's one famous aerodynamic device that's no longer for sale. Companies out of business, so we can talk about them. I still won't mention the name, but they boasted about using wind tunnels and coast down testing to get their results. And that product made it onto the EPA SmartWay list. I don't know exactly how effective that particular product was, and I'm sure you know the one I'm talking about. How did that happen? How, how, how did EPA accept their test results? Well, I mean, they, you know, the EPA followed their protocol, which was to adopt test methods that you know, the trucking industry had told them to use so that, you know, it's not the EPA's fault. They're, 
working with the tools that they're given. But the creators of that particular product, you know, they just figured out how to work through the loopholes. And their, their big thing was using CFD. So they just manipulated the computer model and, and got numbers that worked in their favor and then uh, went around the industry doing that. But the real problem was, you know, you know, a lot of companies tested their product and knew that it didn't work. No one really stood up and said anything, not publicly at least. Well, except you actually. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, but what's really troubling is that, you know, the powers that be didn't do anything about it, even though they had all these complaints, you know, because it was basically it had fallen through the cracks. So we got all these trucking fleets that said, well, let's use that product because, you know, it, it doesn't have damage or it's smaller. It's this or it's that. We just want to be, we just want to be, um, smart way approved. We just want to get into California, yep. whatever it is, you know? And in the end, of course, that company was involved in a very big lawsuit. And you know, like you said, it's no longer with us. So what does that say about SmartWay and their, their list of approved or SmartWay certified products? Uh, do you, are you comfortable with the list as it stands today that it's uh, everything on there is as good as it claims to be? Oh, no, no, not at all. Um, and, and again, it comes down to, you know, test programs that are unreliable. You know, it's, it, it's, it's sad to say, but you know, the, that's just the, that's the reality of it, you know, yeah. and, and honestly, a lot of industries are like this. You know, I worked at a company called Multimatic in, um, in Toronto, which is arguably the most advanced automotive engineering company in the world. And, you, you know, they would do crash testing work for different companies and, you know, there was the industry standard crash test that they had to do. And it was, it was outdated and it was really expensive and they could do it all in, in different ways that was more reliable, but they still had to do it the industry standard way to pass certification, crash test certification, you know? So trucking isn't the only place that has that kind of, that kind of bureaucracy. It's just, I mean, that's just the reality. I mean, we rely a lot on our government institutions to, to keep things under control. And I think they do a pretty darn good job. But if you're a, if you're a company that wants to move faster, you know, it's, it's a matter of, of looking into different ways and, and finding things that might work better. And if you're a trucking fleet that has a big fuel bill, of course, it's, you know, in your best interest to, to try and find better ways of doing it. Sure. You don't want to waste a lot of fuel. Well, I guess there's, you know, different reasons that companies would, trucking, trucking companies would go down this road. Uh, sustainability, uh, the bottom line, um, you know, trying to be as, or, you know, to eliminate or reduce the carbon footprint as much as possible. There's all sorts of good reasons for, for uh, digging into fuel economy and trying to improve fleet fuel economy. It's sad to me to think that there are fleets out there, well-intentioned fleets that are being led down the garden path by misleading marketing material and you know, indeed, uh, unreliable test results. That's that's unfortunate. Oh man, it's beyond unfortunate. It, it turns my stomach. Honestly, it's it's part of what motivates our group to work so hard at this. I was in a meeting with one of those companies that we were just talking about. That's no longer in business, and it was we're in a restaurant right on the Mississippi River, and and he was just you know lying one one lie after another to this fleet about the product and this and that and and I'd kind of backed him into a couple corners you know caught him in his lies and I just thought wouldn't it be nice just to 
push you over the bank into that river. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. You know? Yeah. It's, I, I just couldn't believe that, that a person could sit there and lie straight faced to someone that's, you know, trying to, you know, run a company with a couple thousand employees and investing this money. And I just, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, Oh man, you know, but you know, there's always a silver lining, you know, and that's, that's the motivation to help us with other fleets. We've been talking with Daryl Bear. He's the uh, chief operating officer and lead engineer with Mesilla Valley Transportation Solutions in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Daryl, thanks for sharing those insights on fuel economy testing with us. And, uh, I think uh, your company's found a better way, and I hope fleets find their way over to you at some point when they start asking questions about uh, aerodynamics and fuel. Appreciate your time, sir. Well, thank you, Jim. It's always a pleasure, and yeah, we're always happy to help people, and, and hopefully we didn't hurt anyone's feelings today. Thanks for supporting HTT Talks Trucking for these past two years. We've got more great audio and video content coming your way in 2022, including a new video podcast series called Short Hauls. We combine that with HGT Talks Trucking to give you more ways to access this great content. Check out Short Hauls featuring all the HGT editors beginning in January. If there's something you'd like us to cover on HGT Talks Trucking, drop me an email at jpark at truckinginfo.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please spread the word on social media and take a moment to rate us on iTunes and leave us a review. We love doing this show, and your feedback helps us make every show that much better. HGT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. As always, thanks for joining us. 